Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. What is up, team? Welcome back. Chaz, welcome back, bro. Jeremiah, long time no chat. <laughs> Should we get right into these questions? Yeah, let's just hop in and, and dive in. If you guys didn't listen to the first episode, this is part two of our last episode for me this will have dropped in the following this one will drop in the following week if you didn't listen to the first q a go back and listen to that one um, i'm not sure about jeremiah when his will drop um, the two different episodes but um we already did a little bit of banter we know everything going on in each other's lives so let's just hop into some questions so all right first one i have for you is favorite exercises to pair for hypertrophy supersets upper and or lower good question favorite exercises to pair for supersets for hypertrophy so typically when i'm thinking of pairing up some exercises in this sort of a fashion i'm looking at challenging the same muscle group just at different leverage points essentially so like if i'm going to let's say i'm training biceps i'm going to want to challenge that that muscle group in the shortened position typically first inside of a superset just because that's usually the weakest position that you have or the weakest part of a of of a muscle is when you're training it in a shortened position so for a bicep that's going to be when your shoulders out in front of you which i mm. believe would be shoulder flexion yes yes sir i believe so yeah so that's going to be a weaker standpoint so like i'm thinking a dumbbell spider curl or a preacher curl um for this movement at the start of the superset and then i'm going to finish the superset off with the movement that's in the length that was challenging the muscle group in a lengthened position because typically we're a little bit stronger in that lengthened position meaning we're going to be able to push a little bit more volume if we superset those exercises that way together if we're going to go shorter short position first lengthened position second so that's how i would typically look at that like i said i would go with like a, if it was a bicep i would go with something like a spider curl or a preacher curl to start with or even like a potty curl if you know what those are where you're resting your where you're kneeling down and resting your knees on your or your elbows on your knees out in front of you um, and then i would move into something like a dumbbell incline curl to where you're going to get into a shoulder extension position that's going to um, train that bicep in that more of that lengthened position, which is going to be a stronger position. You're going to be able to use more weight in that lengthened position as you are in that mm -hmm. shortened position. Um, so that's typically how I like to look at supersetting exercises together in that fashion. I don't, from a hypertrophy standpoint, uh, I don't exactly. typically at this point, like I typically won't superset or we wouldn't even call it a superset. What would you call it? I'm going brain dead for some reason. What would you call it if you're doing two opposing muscle groups? I would still call that like a, an anti There's another word for it. I can't think of what it is. It'll come I would really I would right. still call it a superset. I know that there's I know that people call it superset, but there is another term that can be used. 
I can't I'm remember. Not sure, honestly, <laughs> me either. Maybe I'm maybe I'm going crazy. But if I'm if I'm trying to really target hypertrophy on like a specific muscle group, that's typically how I'm going to go about attacking that specific muscle group. Like again, if that's for glutes, okay, I'm going to try to train it in the shortened position first. So I'm going to go with like a glute bridge, a hip thrust, maybe a 45 degree extension, or maybe like a glute cable kickback or a glute med kickback, something like that. And then if I'm going to superset that, and then I'm going to superset it with something like a glute focused leg press. Um, which is going to train the glutes in more of that lengthened position or even like an RDL or something along those lines or maybe like the V-squat or something like that so that I'm training it in that shortened position first and then moving into that lengthened position second to try to maximize hypertrophy between the two exercises. That was such a good answer. And that was basically what I was going to say as well. <clears throat> like for hypertrophy specifically, it's a good idea to move from shortened to lengthened or lengthened to shortened. I'd say you could argue either way there a shortened and lengthened as you said is going to be similar to like a mechanical drop set basically we're moving yep. from position to where we're moving from a weaker position we fatigue the muscle close to failure or to failure and then we move to a position where we're stronger so we can fatigue the muscle more whereas on the flip side like a we could also argue like if you would go lengthened to then shortened you can kind of like fully fatigue the muscle right but so, I mean, we could look at that either direction. Like, for example, we could do like a, like an example of like short to lengthen would be just to add to what you said there, like a leg extension into a hack squat. And I mean, the argument for putting like a lengthen position movement first would be typically those are the ones that are less stable. So it might be a good idea to put, but again, like you could argue this either way and like, there's no like, Hey, this is the best way to do it. Typically what I would That's say one thing like, to say real quick, just to add to that, if you're going to go from the shortened position to a lengthened position, that lengthened position exercise needs to be a stable, like stabilization exactly. shouldn't be a limiting factor. So like you're not going to do a leg extension into a barbell back squat. Right. right. That, that's not going to make a lot of sense. That's not super safe, but like maybe a, a hack squat or a leg press, something that's super stabilized. Then that's when I like to use that combo. Like I mentioned before, I think that's an important point to bring up. No, exactly. Like your, your example of like, I'm going to do a, like a barbell hip thrust or a glute bridge into like a, a leg, a glute focused leg press. Whereas if that was like a, into a good morning or yeah. even like a Romanian deadlift would be like a little bit more challenging. Um, man, you nailed that. I feel like you really stole my thunder there. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything else to add because what she said was exactly what I was going to say. Cool. That's interesting though. Um, from the other standpoint and, and like, I'll be totally honest, I'm biased here from what I've learned from just from the bit through N1, as well as through a lot through, uh, Paul Carter, he likes to program and that's kind of programming that I'm following. He mm -hmm. likes to program all of his supersets from shortened to a lengthened position because of the reason that I mentioned because shortens weaker and then lengthens usually stronger. So he argues that you can create a little bit more volume potentially, or get a little bit more out of each exercise. So that's why my line of thinking um, is there, but like, I haven't dug into it and really tried to understand going from a, a lengthened to a shortened. like there, there could definitely be some, some benefits to that as well, or maybe doing a little bit of both. I'm just biased because that's what I've been taught. So that's no transparency. Sure. And I would say like here, it should probably be based on what your lengthened movement is, right? If you want to progress a less, if you want to progress a less stable lengthened movement, probably do that first. If it's more stable, probably do that second. That's a good, yeah, that's a, a really good way to put it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Cool. My turn? Yes, sir. How do I know if I'm making progress in a bulk? All right. So in a building phase, you should be seeing, we don't want you in a calorie deficit, thus you shouldn't be losing weight. 
So we do want to see weight slowly increasing about 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per week. Now that won't turn up perfectly. So really I encourage clients to look at that over like, Hey, over the last two to three weeks, are we seeing your body weight turn up at about 0.25 to 0.5% per week? And that's just the reality of it. Like if we're not slowly gaining weight in a building phase, we're probably not adding muscle. Some people do have the ability to recomp, but if it's like a true building phase and recomping is kind of off the table for you. So you're more, you're more like intermediate. Um, we do want to see a rate of gain. Also, we want to see you consistently getting stronger over time within your training, right? We should like the logbook should be progressing over time. So it's very important to keep a logbook here as well. And that should be progressing over time. Really, I'll say within a building phase, those are your two best signs. Like we do have some out. I know I have some outliers that I work with where it's like, yo, you are clearly way more jacked than you were at the start of this building phase. Like you've added a significant amount of muscle tissue and a lot less body fat. But the reality is for most people in a building phase, it's more like, hey, like we're seeing the logbook progress very nicely. You are way stronger than you were at the start of this building phase. And we've seen weight slowly increase. But also you've, as is normal, as we discussed in the last episode, you've added a little bit of body fat during this. So thus, like you also have less definition than you did before because like as we gain muscle, we've also gained a little bit of fat. So really like our best metrics here are the logbook progressing and um, seeing weight slowly increase. Logbook progressing with execution kept like standardized, right? Like not the logbooks progressing your techniques getting worse every week. Um, and then like your sleep should be good. Your training, you should feel good in the gym. Your recovery should be solid as well. But really like that logbook progressing and weight slowly increasing from my perspective of two best signs that you're making progress. Yeah, I honestly don't even really have a lot to add to that because I think that's really what it comes down to. Are you getting stronger over time? Are you sleeping well? Are you feeling satisfied from your meals? Like not having a lot of, of hunger sitting around? Are you slowly gaining in terms of weight? Um, if you're doing all of those things, you know that you're progressing. I think a lot of people get caught up and think, oh, I'm going to build and get big and get jacked and think that you're going to have more muscle definition. You're going to look like you lift more as opposed to that's usually not the case. When you're going through a building phase, gauge it off of off of your progressions in the gym? Are you feeling energized? Are you sleeping well? Are, are your weights slowly going up over time in terms of your weigh-ins? And if they are, you know that you're making progress and just keep doing what you're doing and know that the, the fruits of your labor will be um, produced when you go through your next cut because you're going to have more muscle definition on your frame, just more overall muscle mass. So I would 100% agree. I think it just comes down to progressing your logbook, progressing your daily weigh-ins, um, and progressing biofeedback. Make sure you're staying, staying full and not overly hungry and energy's in a good place and you're recovering well. Exactly. Cool. I don't think anything else to add there. Um, can you explain why you program supinated pull-ups over pronated grip? Another good question. Typically, um, a supinated pull-up, which I would just call a chin-up, is going to be a little bit easier than a pronated grip pull-up. So for somebody who's wanting to, like I get a lot of ladies that come in and be like, I've, I've just got a goal. I just want to do a pull-up. It's not because right. of anything to do with um, like what's going to change their physique or anything. Like It's kind of like an empower th empowering thing to know if you're hanging mm -hmm. off of a cliff, you can pull yourself up, right? So As long as you can do supinated grip. <laughs> yeah, as long as you can do supinated grip. So typically speaking, when I'm working with somebody um, that's newer to pull-ups and has a goal, I'll usually always start them with uh, chin-ups or even I'll go neutral grip sometimes. They're, they're both pretty similar as opposed to a pronated grip is going to um, 
be a lot harder than a, a supinated or a neutral grip pull-up. So that's the, the first reasoning for the two differences. And then number two is, in my opinion, you can bias different parts of your back a little bit with the different types of pull-ups that you're going to do. I've always found that doing a neutral grip or supinated style of pull-up, you're able to keep your chest um, your spine a little bit better of alignment. So you're not going to create any hyperextension at your back and you're able to pull your elbow directly down into your hip without pulling your, your elbow or not into yeah pulling your elbow directly down into your hip or into your side at, um, while keeping it close to your body, which is going to engage a lot more of your lats as opposed to doing a pronated grip style pull up. Um, what you're going to do, and this is kind of contra controversial, if that's the right word has some controversy to it. Well, just the, the thought of back training has changed a lot in the last mm -hmm. while on the evidence-based side of the community with biomechanics, in, in my opinion, at least my opinion on it has changed a lot as I've started to really understand um, biomechanics for training your back. But like I said, a neutral grip or a supinated grip, you're able to pull that elbow directly down into the hip, which is going to engage a lot more of the lat as opposed to a pronated grip that's a little bit wider. You're going to be pulling that elbow more down behind your back, which is going to create a lot more tension in your rhomboids and your traps. Um, so you're basically can bias your lats, which is the sides of your back with a neutral grip or a um, supinated grip as opposed to upper back with more of a pronated grip. But again, the grip doesn't mean everything. It just helps you with your elbow path where your arm path is going to go to dictate which part of your back you're going to emphasize more. You can still use a, a neutral grip or a supinated grip and target your upper back if you take that elbow and keep it a little bit further out to your side and then mm -hmm. pull that elbow all the way behind your back. You're going to end up biasing a lot more of your upper back as opposed to pulling it directly down into your side. I just find it easier to pull that elbow directly down into the side if with that neutral or um, supinated style, if that makes sense. I know I'm kind of all over the place, but that's where my brain goes. No, crush that. That's exactly what I would say as well. Uh, chin up, a supinated grip is going to be a little bit easier. So same as you, a lot of the women we work with want to be able to do chin ups and eventually move to be able to do pull ups, right? So that's typically where we start. That's going to recruit a little bit more bicep. And as you said, like a, a supinated grip where we're normally a little bit narrower or a neutral grip, going to bias lats a little bit more. Typically a pronated grip, unless you're doing a very narrow pronated grip, that's which is uncomfortable too. Right. Very uncomfortable. And it's that's just going to feel weird. Uh, it, a pr pronated grip is typically going to bias your teres, your upper back a little bit more. Um, so that's typically what I'll program. I won't program a wide grip or like a pronated grip pull up unless I want it to be like an upper back specific movement. Typically, yeah. uh, I do like, I would say I like pull downs like for hypertrophy better than like a pull up, but I do Same. like, like a neutral grip pull up a lot for lats. It's so interesting too. Like the pull down, my mind has changed so much on the pull down over the years. Like I've always done like a, just a regular, like wide grip pull down. And I always mm -hmm. thought that it was like, it's called a lat pull down. Right. So for years, I always thought I was supposed to activate my lats and I was supposed to feel my lats. And whenever I would do a pull down for years, I could never really get my lats firing that well, right. like a, a regular wide grip pull down. Um, and I always thought that it was an issue that I had with a mind muscle connection issue mm -hmm. with my lats. That was my fault as to why right. I wasn't able to feel my lats or get them sore from doing pull downs. Right. Until I, I really started to learn the biomechanics that that setup actually isn't is it going to hit your lats? Of course, like there's going to be some lat engagement there, but you're really biasing, like you said, your teres major as well as rhomboids lats um, with that elbow path being further out. 
uh, to the side and coming all the way behind your body as opposed to bringing that elbow directly down into the side. Um, so that was like a, a light bulb moment for me when I started to understand, okay, like how the lats work compared to the upper back and how to just bias with your elbow positioning and your elbow path to what part of the back you're going to hit. It was a complete game changer in terms of my muscle connection and realizing that it wasn't just me that was messed up. Oh yeah. No, I think that's very normal. It's common frustration. I, I was in the same boat and I would say until like the last year. Yeah. It's interesting too. Like when you go into like a normal quote unquote lat pull down, like oh, basically an upper back pull down with the intention of like, okay, I want to train my upper back here. Then it's like, Oh my gosh, like this is such a good movement for this. Yeah. Back. <laughs> it feels so good. Whereas I was in the same way. It was like so much frustration with like, okay, I'm doing a lat pull down. Why don't I feel like anything's happening with my lats? Yeah. And you feel like you're messed up when really it's just, no, the movement's not set up biomechanically to, to target that very well. So yeah, that's just a, yeah, I found that interesting. All right, moving on. Is cutting and bulking more effective than maintaining for muscle growth? Yes, I would say so. Um, again, some people can recall, build. I would say like the thing with trying to maintain gain pain however you want to put that is that it's way too i really would almost say here go listen to the last episode where we talked about like hey can i hold one of my abs while also building like i think that's again like so many people we hop on like i'll hop on like our starting call and so many people are like hey i've been trying to build muscle and stay very lean for years and like once we start i want to continue to do that it's like again like okay so what makes you think that because you're paying me, we can do the same thing and get a different result, right? Like it's very much like a, again, I know this sounds kind of harsh, but it's so important for people to understand like uh, most everyone who has been spinning their wheels for a very long time has been trying to gain pain, right? Where like, hey, stay shredded or stay super lean and I build muscle. Typically, we're just tiptoeing the line between being have maintenance or I would say like a lot of times what happens here is you dip in a deficit too much and again you're just not giving your body the, enough fuel that it needs to build muscle so there's never any period of time where you're actually very productively building muscle so I mean I would say like if you're okay with like two years down the road from now basically I would say if we go through these cycles of building and then cutting you could add a very considerable amount of muscle two years from now you could be a lot leaner and have more muscle mass or two years from now you could have built a little bit of muscle because you're maintaining you could have stayed lean the whole time but as a whole your physique wouldn't be nearly as good as it was if you'd gone through like okay i'm going to spend this period of time focusing on productively building and then when i get a little bit too fluffy hey i can go through a quick eight to 12 week fat loss phase and get to more time building right like neither of those like it's just not a very productive way to spend your time so i mean i would say like if the most important thing to you is staying lean versus like actually improving your physique considerably year to year, then that's fine, but it's definitely not going to be as productive. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I think a lot of, I think if you're a beginner and you're newer and you're in a position to where you can recomp, meaning you haven't been, been paying attention to your diet very well, you haven't been following a structured training program that has progressions built into it, or maybe you're coming off of an injury or you've taken some time off or you're brand new to this, <clears throat> I think that you can eat around a maintenance level of calories 
and main gain as as you mentioned and see a considerable amount of progress for maybe like your first six to 12 months potentially but i think and it really is as you get past that point and you've been consistent for a good amount of time and your training is on point and your nutrition is on point and your body has adapted to those things and you built up the habits necessary um you have to level yourself up and start periodizing things out through cutting and bulking phases if you want to see maximize your efforts and maximize your time invested into yourself to continue to see progress happen on a year by year basis as we've talked about and I've mentioned on here a lot like my typical structure of of what I do for myself in terms of my own body composition is a constant cycle between cut cuts bulks and small maintenance periods throughout it's always generally from anywhere from like February to March to around May to June of being in a, a cut generally. And then from June to let's say the end of the summer is usually a reverse diet. And I'm just focused on maintaining throughout that time to hold on to the level of leanness that I have through the summer. And then from the end of the summer around August to roughly like January, February, maybe even close to March, I'm usually back in a building phase. And it's just that continuous cycle. So I'm relatively lean for a few months out of the year, but I'm still putting time into bulking. Um, and even maintaining at certain points as well, just to keep my body progressing over the long term. So I think that at some point, you just kind of have to accept that cycle, accept that you're going to have points of the year where you're going to be lean, points of the year where you're going to be a little bit fluffier, and then realize that if you get to a point where you don't want to go through those cycles anymore, and you just want to maintain the progress that you've created at a, a relatively healthy body fat, then go into a main gaining mode without the expectation of seeing all this progress happen relatively quickly on a year-to-year -year basis. Um, and then you're in a really good position. I know people, I follow people who have shown pictures of, they've maintained for essentially two years of like going, trying to build in a, in a maintenance and they show a two-year difference and there's definitely a difference there. But you have to realize they were consistent for two years to be able to put on muscle at a maintenance level. That's a long ass time for not like a huge crazy transformation, but a noticeable difference in the amount of muscle that you have on your frame. So it's definitely possible. It's going to take a whole lot longer. I would say going through those cut and bulk phases is going to get you to that result a lot quicker. Um, but once you get to a point where you're comfortable, get back to a maintenance and just try to main gain over the long term. I think that's a great strategy, but don't do it with the expectation of seeing progress happen as quickly as it could. Nailed it, dude. I don't have anything else to add to that. All right. Perfect. Last question I have, what's the difference between a building phase and a maintenance phase? I think we just answered it. <laughs> so a maintenance phase typically comes, um, when I'm working with somebody, a maintenance phase will typically come after a cut, which is when we're going through a deficit. A cut is just when we're trying to lose body fat. So um, a maintenance phase usually comes after that, meaning we're just getting your calories back up to a, a maintenance level of calories that usually requires like a, a, a three to six reverse diet of bringing calories back up to your maintenance level to optimize that. And then I'll usually typically have people sit around a maintenance level of calories for a little bit of time just to restore all of their biofeedback, get their hormones in a good place, get their metabolism in a good place, get their mindset in a good place to where they're just fueling themselves to have better energy, to have better training sessions, um, to feel good without folk having to worry about the scale going up at all. Just getting them comfortable understanding that, okay, maintenance is where I live. Maintenance is my home base. This is where long-term that I want to be, right? This is where my body thrives and is in, in its best position. It, it, the hormones are going to be in its best place. Metabolism is going to be in its best place. My mindset, my energy, my sleep, my stress, it's all going to be in the best place, usually when I'm sitting around a maintenance level of calories. So maintenance is where we're usually just trying to optimize health, 
the major are for the majority of people, as opposed to a building phase is where we're trying to actively put on more size. We're actively trying to put on more muscle mass um, or lean muscle definition onto our frame for an upcoming cutting phase potentially in the future. So it's where we're eating in a slight surplus of calories and we're aiming to not only like have more energy, have better recovery, but we're aiming to really get stronger in our training. We're aiming to see the scale slightly going up over time to ensure that we're putting on more lean muscle mass as opposed to when we're at a maintenance. The goal is usually just focus on overall health. When we're going into a slight build, the focus is on improving our body composition more in terms of adding more lean muscle definition to its frame. That's all I got. Yeah, no, again, I think you nailed that, man. Um, basically, maintenance physical is maintaining, improving health getting, making sure that whatever result you achieved, be it from a building phase or a fat loss phase, that you can maintain that for the long term. Whereas in a building phase, we're aggressively pursuing adding muscle. We want to see weight slowly increasing versus staying the same. And that's mainly the difference. Yeah, 100%. All right, I got one more question here and we'll wrap this thing up. Does that sound good? Yes, sir. Let's get it. It's a good one too. Can you build muscle while pregnant? Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, Should that be I'm, your goal? I don't. I mean, it's not for me to say what your goal should be while you're pregnant. In a case like this, I would probably not be focused on like, hey, I want to hit. And I mean, you can still strength train. You do want to be careful with the movements if you're doing when you're pregnant. But I would definitely like during a pregnancy like we want to make sure first and foremost like having the healthiest child possible uh, from my perspective like that's typically the goal and like with clients like it's hey like training staying active yes that can make you have a healthier pregnancy and that's important but again i wouldn't say like the number one goal during that time should be like i'm going to get fucking jacked right like that's yeah i don't think that necessarily i mean <laughs> It might be like, hey, yeah, I can eat. This is a good time for me to also eat more food and get more fluffy. <laughs> yes, but I would, would not ever like, hey, let's pair this with a building phase where we're going to like aggressively push. Because I mean, like when we're at that point where we're really taxing your body, your body's recovery demands, and you're also growing a child inside of you, like understand that that is something that is also to so taxing on your body. Like that is a very, very significant stressor. Uh, you definitely can build muscle while you're pregnant. And I would say like, especially like if you're a beginner and you're like, Hey, I want to have a very healthy pregnancy. So I'm going to start training as well and get stronger. So like my body can better support all these changes. Like that's great. And you will for sure get stronger, but I would, I would again, like, I don't think I would make hypertrophy your primary goal. I would make like, Hey, maybe I'm going to train three days per week consistently. I'm going to focus on doing my best to maintain my strength on all these foundational movement patterns. And again, like if I do get stronger, that's great, but I wouldn't like create additional stress around like, oh, I'm not seeing myself build like the one or like my biceps haven't necessarily gotten bigger. Right. Because your body's recovery resources are primarily going to be devoted to like growing this child. That's my take on it. Yeah. I would agree 100%. I'm <clears throat> I actually worked with a decent amount of, um, like I'll have ladies that come in and they're usually in prime positions to get pregnant. Like they're at that age and time of life to get pregnant. So I have clients that come in that end up pregnant while they're working um, with me some of the time, or, or even I've had some clients that come in that, that want help through their pregnancy as well. So first and foremost, just as Jeremiah said, I would agree 100%. I don't think that the main goal should be anything body composition related 
while you're pregnant, first and foremost, always talk to your doctor, see what they have to say first. They're the, the expert in this area, not us, but, but we can, yeah, what we can do here is like, typically if you, if, if you've been strength training in the past and you get pregnant, I think it makes sense to continue strength training throughout your pregnancy. It's going to lead to a better pregnancy. It might even lead to a better, um, labor and it'll lead to a better bounce back afterwards from my experience and, and the knowledge that I understand about it. Um, so, but if you come, if you come and you've never strength trained before and you think like, oh, now's a good time to start strength training when you're pregnant, probably not a good idea. That's going to be another stress added to your body that it's not used to. That's not something that I would advise probably getting into too much. Like maybe like some general cardio type stuff or very, very light strength work could, could make sense and and be helpful. Again, talk to your doctor first, but typically I wouldn't be comfortable bringing somebody in and starting them on an exercise regimen if they weren't exercising before their pregnancy started. So that's kind of my my take on that. But um, as far as can you build muscle while you're pregnant? I mean, just as Jeremiah said, maybe your list will go up a little bit. I don't think that that should be your main goal. I think the goal should be just to, to keep your body moving, to keep yourself as healthy as possible, to not use it. And, and again, I mean, who, who am I to say? Because I haven't been pregnant and I never will be. So I don't understand what it's like, but just try to keep somewhat control of your, your diet the best that you can in terms of not just like going ham in terms of your diet. And, and again, I, I don't have any experience here. So I don't say this, like you have to do this. And I know it's easy because I don't know, and I'm sure it's extremely tough, but just trying to be mindful, keep your protein intake high, try to eat around a maintenance level of calories. As you go through each trimester, slowly increase calories a little bit further to support the baby a little bit more and support your pregnancy a little bit more. Um, and just continue to strength train the best that you can. And again, the deeper you get into your pregnancy, the more you want to start um, taking out specific exercises like laying flat on your back or on your stomach, obviously, or pushing above head or pulling from um, above head, different things like that. Um, and as long as you're focused on, on those things and you're keeping your your doctor informed with everything that you're doing and you're just being smart about it and just focusing on staying active throughout that time and not focus on body composition, you'll be able to bounce back relatively quickly after the pregnancy is over, after you've had labor, and then you can get back into focusing more on, on building muscle. And one thing that I found here as well is ladies at the end of uh, like postpartum after they've had their babies and they hit that six-week marker, typically where a lot of them come back and will start training again, they're in prime positions to recomp. Like they're in absolute prime positions to recon. So typically like when, uh, when I'm working with somebody that's, that's gone through this process and they're at the end, like we'll just put them back roughly around a maintenance level of calories and get them slowly building their training back up over time. And we'll see inches start to fall off. Um, as well as weight will kind of, will come down a little bit as well, but they start to build back that muscle and they, they get back into things relatively quickly. But that comes, that's because of the work that they put in. Um, during the pregnancy in terms of continuing to, to keep their fitness a priority. Yeah. That is a very fun client to work with is like someone postpartum because the recomps are pretty crazy. Yeah. Typically. That's a good example of someone who can build muscle and get near at the same time. That's always, I have like, I have a couple of clients right now going through that and it's so cool. Like your progress pictures from a month ago to now, it's like, holy shit. It's yeah. so cool to see. Yeah. Um, I know you got to run here, man. in like literally a minute. So, Let's wrap this up here. Um, As always, thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch you next time. Peace out.